Hey, thanks so much for listening in to the Better Podcast. This week, I'm joined by some of the best athletes in Asia who will be competing at the Pacific Regionals. Before we see them take the floor, though, I get to ask them a few questions about how they got started with CrossFit, and that sort of led on to other topics that I think you guys will find very interesting. Another thing special about this week is that this is part one of five daily episodes that will be released throughout the week before the regional start. So instead of tuning in every Monday, you can go ahead and check your podcast supplier for a fresh new episode every noon. And hopefully this will tide you through and get you excited for the weekend to come. Today we have on the show Jamie Light from CrossFit Asia. CrossFit Asia has sent the team to the regionals every single year since 2011, with the exception of the year 2017. On this episode, Jamie talks to us about what it takes to build teams that go back to regionals over and over again in a country and city as transient as Okinawa, Japan. We dive into what makes a good competitor versus a good team player and also chat about their 10-year history of being the oldest CrossFit affiliate in the continent. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us today, Jamie. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. It's really humbling to uh, be on a show like this. <laughs> well, let's start from the very beginning. Let's, uh, what, what is the story behind CrossFit Asia? It's one of the oldest gyms. I think is one of the first gyms in Asia to be affiliated with CrossFit. Uh, what was your story with it? Yeah, cool. So uh, I got into uh, CrossFit while I was in the military, um, toward the end of my uh, career. And uh, I was kind of a CrossFit basher at first because I came from the bodybuilding side of it. Um, and then uh, I ended up doing a deployment. Long story short, I tried some CrossFit, kind of fell in love with it. Um, we were doing uh, some CrossFit um on Tory Station, which is one of the military bases here in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up scheduling a level one. And mm-hmm. I went to the level one. And just to kind of show my age here in terms of CrossFit, uh, <laughs> Coach Glassman and Dave Castro were my coaches for it. Um, and uh, oh, on day two, yeah, oh, um, it was a three-day seminar because it was a military seminar. And uh, on day two, I just kind of uh, oh, just basically threw it out there to Coach. Did he ever think that there was going to be a – CrossFit gym in Japan, and uh, he goes, yep, sure is, and you're going to open it, and uh, I kind of taken back a little bit by it, and um, just thought about it a little bit, and I'm like, well, I am retiring, and I have no idea what I'm going to do at this point, because I was planning on staying in Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, so I went home and mentioned it to my wife, and she was like, you should do it, and uh, I think about five months later, I was uh, leaving the military, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, about three to four months after that, uh, 2008, we opened CrossFit Asia. 2008. So you're coming up to a 10-year anniversary this year. That's right. In a couple months in September. That's amazing. Um, what was the landscape like in 2008 for those of us who were still in diapers? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the landscape was none of us knew what we were doing. Um, I definitely knew nothing about the running the business side of a CrossFit gym. I just kind of came from the mentality of, like, when I went to my level one, uh, I found out that I really knew nothing about movement, even though I had been lifting weights my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I kind of just thought, well, if, if I don't know what I'm doing and I've been lifting weights my entire life, 
there's got to be other people that are that need help with this. And mm. so that's kind of where the idea of CrossFit Asia was born was just out of out of a desire to kind of help people learn how to move and how to be a little bit more functional. Mm. And uh, it kind of all started in my my garage before I got out. Um, I had a bunch of people that would show up at five o'clock in the morning um, to my garage and they would work out over there and. I just started kind of leaving my garage door open and people would show up and work out and uh, then uh, found a building and a bunch of people came and worked out while we were building the uh, gym and then the we had our official opening and about 20% of those people actually joined because, hey, I don't want to pay for CrossFit. And uh, yeah, and so, uh, you know, it came from pretty humble beginnings. Um, the gym was really, really small at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And uh just scraping to make ends meet to uh, keep the power on and the door open. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the landscape for it was nobody knew what CrossFit was. Americans didn't know what CrossFit was and Japanese definitely didn't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were just trying to get it out there little by little. And I believe it or not, like even 10 years later, mm-hmm. it's my biggest challenge because um, my Japanese is very poor. Mm-hmm. And uh, like that communication side of the, uh, the, advertising for CrossFit and, and uh, really getting getting out there in the community and making people understand what CrossFit, it's limited. Um, mm. So Yeah, so that's always been a challenge uh, in terms of, of the landscape side and really getting people to understand what CrossFit is. Um, but uh, we've brought a lot of Japanese trainers along the way to, uh, to help us kind of do that. And, mm. uh, and um, I, I think Japan is finally starting to pick up on CrossFit. 10 years later. So maybe I just opened the gym about 10 years too soon. <laughs> You're ahead of the curve. <laughs> uh, well, someone's got to be, right? I think at the end of the day, it's it's about just being so convicted of something that you just have to do it because there is no other choice for you. Like that is what you feel like the society yeah, needs I, at that point and what you need to be doing at that point. Yeah, um, I absolutely believe in CrossFit 100% and like the methodology of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am totally sold on. What are the types of people that came through to your like little garage setup when you were setting up in 2008? And are they the same people now? Uh, they still come through your gym? Yeah, definitely not. Like most of those were uh, people that I was in the military with that I was working with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there were people that I hung out with at work and hung out with on the weekends. And so we would just, they were some of the people that introduced me to CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would just get together and kind of work out there during the week mostly. And then uh, before the gym opened, we would go over to Torrey Station and we would practice coaching on each other and try and figure out how to teach somebody how to squat or even how to squat properly. Mm, right. Um, and what are the types of people who come in through your door today? Yeah, so we still have a, a good contingent of uh, military personnel and expats that come to our gym. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a growing populace of Okinawan Japanese athletes here. Um, and, uh, it just, uh, definitely, definitely CrossFit is getting out there into the community because more and more people are starting to show up, uh, from the local national side of it where, um, like we fought hard to get local nationals in here before. Right. And why do you think that's so difficult? I mean, we talked a little bit briefly when I was visiting Okinawa, um, in your gym and you talked about how the perception of, uh, Japanese people's like concept of fitness was just running. But yeah, yeah. the idea of lifting weights was just so foreign. What do you think is perpetuating that? Or, yeah, what are your yeah, thoughts on what they see fitness as? 
I think social media is a huge part of it um, that uh, so many people uh, use it as an outlet to kind of show what we're doing within CrossFit, um, mm -hmm. especially a lot of our, uh, our Japanese athletes, whether they're competitive or, or just doing it for the fun, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, that we see it a lot more on social media now. I yeah. think there's a, a slight kind of change in the mentality of what fitness should be for Japan. Um, like even a lot of professional teams didn't do any strength and conditioning here in Japan, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. now we're starting to um, see it like we do a lot of outlet coaching at, uh, at high schools to uh, get them a strength and conditioning program so they can get more than just running and push-ups. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that's a, like, I think the mentality is kind of changing. It's just taken a little bit longer in the society, which is pretty conservative, um, to kind of change the way they think about it. I think right. body image is a huge part of it, too. How much of that is cultural, you think, and oh, specific I, to I, Japan? I would say um, it's pretty, not, I wouldn't say specific to Japan. I'd say it's pretty common in, in Asia in general, the, uh, the uh, body imaging part of it, that uh, girls with muscles are kind of frowned upon. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and that we see it as something to kind of celebrate within the CrossFit community. Mm -hmm. um, I want to take a little bit of time to segue into talking about uh, your kids. Oh, you, sure. You've got, you've got a daughter who is, who is in love with weightlifting. Uh, yes, absolutely. She's really good at it too, so, I mean, thank God. Uh, <laughs> and you've got a little boy who's playing baseball now, correct? Yeah, and believe it or not, they're both playing baseball right now. Oh, awesome. Uh, how uh, much yeah. do you do CrossFit with them as a way to train them for whatever they're interested in? And how much is that um, just sort of their own, like, they want to do it because they love it? Yeah, I think it's a, I mean, like, we just let them do it because they love it. Like, I try not to push anything on them. They're only 10 and 11 at this point. And, uh, like, we want them to understand that fitness should be a part of their life. But at the same time, um, like, if they want to jump into a workout and do a workout, then we're absolutely going to encourage that, but um, trying not to push it on them. And mm -hmm. like that whole body imaging side, like it's with the kids too. Like my daughter kind of started to shy away from weightlifting because she felt like her legs were getting too big. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like that's a hard thing to explain to uh, what she was nine-ish when she was still weightlifting pretty seriously. But to explain to a nine-year-old that it's okay, um, for her to have big legs when adults don't even understand it most of the time. Um, yeah. But yeah so, so they'll uh, like what I see more than anything is uh, when they're with their teammates, um, yeah. like they'll do things like burpees and squats, you know, within their, their uh, exercising and practice, because those are things that my kids introduced to the baseball team. So right. like without trying to spread CrossFit um, to, to that culture of baseball, um, mm -hmm. in terms of the, the elementary school kids, it's already started to kind of bleed in there through, uh, through my kids. So that's kind of cool to see. Nice. You also have a CrossFit kids program at CrossFit Asia though. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. What, uh, uh so what is your, uh, thought process behind that? And like, what kind of people do you attract to that class? Yeah. So, um, that's typically our expats, uh, kids that we see in that, those classes um, that we haven't really seen very many uh, Japanese youth in those classes. Um, mm -hmm. Like one of the hard things and people don't really understand about Japan is, is uh, most kids don't play multiple sports here. Um, mm -hmm. My son's baseball is it's a year round. So they never have a season. They play year round. Um, 
Yeah, so there, there's no breaks for them or for me in terms of that. And, uh, yeah, um, so, like, for them to go, hey, I'm going to play baseball this season, and then I'm going to do CrossFit for a couple months here, and then I'm going to do that. Um, like, it's really, really hard for them to do multiple things um, right. in terms of the no- local national populace. Ah, uh, okay. And so then the the main pe- audience for the CrossFit Kids classes, people who are not in the system, not in the school system? Yeah, who are in either in the um, military kids or um, the expats. Okay, cool. Um, and what do you guys kind of go through? Like, can you walk us through what a class would look like, how it would be coached differently from an adult's class? Yeah, so I typically uh, try to, to stay away from that because I tend to have a funny <laughs> mouth. Um, I, I can tell you that uh, they typically uh, get the kids in. Uh, they take them through some skill-based warm-ups. Um, they'll then go through uh, some uh, movement critique and movement mechanics for uh, whatever movements they're going to probably do within the workout. Um, they'll take them through a, a workout segment. And once they get through the workout segment, then they start looking at like uh, how to incorporate uh, some of that functionality into games, you know, like uh, lava games and uh, dodgeball, you know, the typical typical games that the adults like to play, but we typically don't uh, get a chance to play. <laughs> What's the primary aim of the class? Is it just to get them moving or actually get them progressing towards doing actual CrossFit movements? Yeah. So um, like that's, Depending on on what class you're looking at, so if we're talking about younger the younger groups, um, it's more on just keeping them functional. Mm-hmm. Um, where with the the teen group, uh, we tend to be looking more at at really getting them involved in the CrossFit workouts and uh, in structuring their their program toward those CrossFit workouts. Cool. How competitive does that get from your I'm observation? Not- uh, not not terribly uh, in terms of, of our gym. Again, we are, uh, like, in terms of our CrossFit Kids program, we were on hiatus for almost two years from it. And mm-hmm. so we've just brought it back over the last uh, about eight months and uh, and really started to perpetuate that kids program. So, like, we're, there are a lot of them are in the learning phase still in terms of, of that competitive side and really getting getting their understanding of CrossFit. Right. The one thing that I think, I mean, a lot of things struck me when I visited, but one of the things that I think most impressed me was that when I was watching the kids move in your CrossFit class, it was like they were moving like little adults <laughs> and they were, they were moving well in that sense. They weren't doing like fake power cleans, like reverse bicep curls and, and things like that. So like technique is obviously a very big component of how, what you preach at CFA. And I think that's really cool. Um, I kind of wanted to ask, how, how do you, what's the process behind your coaching that kind of focuses on technique? What's your principle behind coaching? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I kind of just, uh, like, I'm really old school, and, um, like, my intro to CrossFit was so powerful with Coach Glassman that I've always really tried to keep it kind of like on his mentality where, you know, the mechanics come first, um, mm-hmm. and as you become better at the mechanics, your, your intensity should increase to meet that. Um, and that if you don't really have the mechanics of the movement, then adding the intensity side of it, um, it's not all that beneficial and it's pretty dangerous for you. Um, mm-hmm. So like we, we have a huge emphasis on, on teaching people to move better always here, um, whether they are in our fundamentals class, whether they're in our regular class, 
um, whether they're in our competitive program, um, like the quality of movement is always the most important part. Um, like when I start looking at, at the bigger side of CrossFit, which I guess now would kind of be, you know, when you start looking at, at the best athletes, um, you start looking at someone like Rich Froning. Rich has never been the fastest, the strongest um, mm -hmm. athlete out there, but he's always been the best, and it's always been because he's so efficient because he moves so well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it all goes back to, you know, mechanics before intensity. Tell us, for those of us who are not aware, how long is that fundamentals program that you have at CFA? <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's pretty lengthy. We run our fundamentals. Uh, it's a month long. And so four weeks long and we run it three days a week. Uh, so they have to come Monday, Wednesday and Friday for four weeks. And we basically start with the principles of the squat on the first day. And we take them through all of the nine fundamental movements. Um, we throw in some uh, gymnastic movements in there also so they can start to, to learn the basics of gymnastics. Um, and then toward the, the end of it, we start looking at uh, how to incorporate some of the the more basic Olympic weightlifting movements into it. And uh, so that they basically have a good foundation to come into a regular class and start uh, participating in these, these, I guess you could say normal CrossFit workouts, you know, yeah. um, like introducing someone to CrossFit using Fran isn't necessarily the best idea for everybody. Mm -hmm. So even before they can step into a regular class, they've committed 12 hours to learning the basic movements of how to not just move their own body weight, but also an external object, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So we've taken them all the way from, hey, this is how you squat, um, all the way up through, this is how you uh, perform a uh, power snatch and uh, throw in some uh, basic strength like CrossFit Total um, mm -hmm. so that we can get them some starting numbers. But yeah, we want to make sure that uh, the like first and foremost, our goal is to make sure that we don't injure athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, like that, that should be my my primary goal as a personal trainer is to make them fitter and try not to injure them. Um, right, and and I think that all begins with uh, with a good fundamentals that that teaches them how to move properly. Um, and you do this in the group setting. Yes, absolutely. And uh, typically, uh, our classes are no larger than twelve. Uh, mm -hmm. We run a morning one and an evening one. And so, like, uh, I think anything more than 12 and people aren't getting quite the attention they need in terms of, of learning the movement and correction and uh, and the quality of the movement. So we limit it to 12 per session. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. So you've talked a little bit about how, you know, you're really old school. It's mechanics before intensity. And um, CFA recently just ho hosted the Okinawa Throwdown as a part of the Asia Championships uh, sanctioned event. Uh, what what do you think is the role of competition in just sort of the general CrossFit setting? Oh wow, uh, that's a that's a loaded question there. <laughs> yeah, so um, like we do spend a lot of time and invest a lot of time in our uh, our competitive program over here. Um, but it is definitely not our primary goal in terms of fitness. So typically when we're doing a throwdown, um, we are looking at the entire CrossFit community. We're not really looking at the competitive um, share of CrossFitters out there. Um, like basically we would just want to give a fun event for people to come together and enjoy CrossFit together outside of the normal class. Um, so, yeah, that may not be the – the answer you're really looking no, for. No, no. Whatever answer is 
that that's true yeah. to you is what I want. But I think yeah, sure. one of one of the things that um, people might not know about CFA is that you guys were responsible for hosting the first few years of the Asia CrossFit Regionals when it was still around. We did. 2010-2011, we hosted Regionals. Um, I I don't think we did it. We might have even done it in 2009. I can't remember. All I I remember is... uh, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, like... Clearly, even though competition is not, um, you know, the main purpose of the gym, it is very deeply embedded within the DNA of CFA. Yeah, I think it was almost by accident. Um, <laughs> by necessity? Like, yeah, well, I mean, not even really, not even by necessity, by accident. Like, I didn't even know really what the CrossFit Games were or, like, what a sectional or anything like that was. And I, uh, I got a message from Dave Castro asking if, I wanted to run a, a regional for Asia. Um, this was either 2009 or 2010. I really don't remember now. Um, but I was just, you know, I was drank all the Kool-Aid at that point. So I was like, sure, what do I need to do? And, you know, he was like, all right, you're going to have a host a event over the weekend and you're going to offer um, X amount of workouts and you get to go ahead and program them. And whoever that fittest person is, is going to get to come out to California and do the CrossFit Games. Oh, that wow, sounds cool. That's, that's that's very different from how it's done now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was pretty uh, uh, backyard handshake then, and uh, so we just put some workouts together, and I think uh, we had something like uh, eight girls from our gym, mm-hmm. and uh, let's see, maybe eleven to twelve guys from the gym that decided they wanted to participate in this, and yeah, it was pretty much a. The first year was completely internal. We didn't have anybody outside of the gym, really, that participated in it because there was no other gym at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, 2010, we actually had some people come from the, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, 2011, it started to get a little bit bigger. Um, and I think that's when Reebok got involved with it. Yeah. And uh, came down here and did some sponsorship with it. And, uh, and then, uh, we turned it over to Korea after that, but it like, really, it just kind of fell into our laps by accident, um, that we were really the only gym <laughs> and so <laughs> Dave didn't know where else to go and we came back, but we ran, we did what, we did what coach Glassman wanted, you know, and, uh, yeah. and, and put it out there for people to, uh, to get involved with and, uh, look what it's, it's crazy what it's grown into from that. It is insane. Um, we're going to fast forward to like this year. Uh, you guys sure. have you guys have obviously done really well for yourselves in the past few years, going to regionals over and over again as a team. And it's it always it's always fascinating to me that despite the transient nature of like people coming and going in Okinawa, because of the fact that it, like a lot of your team members are people in the military, right? Um, this this the only thing that sort of seems consistent with all that with the different teams going to regionals is that you're the coach behind it every year without fail. You're the coach behind it. What do you think is the secret to the gym's competitive success? Even though you've talked about it being, you know, not really the biggest priority in terms of why you have the gym in the first place. Yeah, I, I would say luck. Um, <laughs> oh, that's amazing athletes in here. And, uh, and we just try to groom them the best we can. Um, like, one thing that we definitely do is we make sure that 
competitive program is for competitive athletes. Um, like it, it's never been about, Hey man, I, I could get 50 competitive athletes back here and they could all pay a bigger membership, um, because they're following competitive programming and I can make a lot more money. Um, it's never been about that for, for the competitive program. It's been about, um, people that really, really have a desire and are at a level where they can kind of transition from doing regular CrossFit workouts into this, uh, monstrosity of programming that we tend to do for, uh, competitive athletes. Right. Um, and so that's kind of like, uh, the start of where, where, um, I think some of our consistency has been, um, we also make sure that those athletes uh, start off in the regular classes, regardless of what level they show up at the gym, uh, so that we can, um, as a staff, kind of see where their strengths and weaknesses are um, and, and try to uh, focus on some of that as we go. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the, the hardest part for me um, is watching them leave, is that uh, we have, we've had a huge amount of athletes that uh, they even started CrossFit here and uh, ended up moving to the competitive level and uh, regional level, some as individuals, some as team athletes. And right as they're, they're really starting to come into their own, they have to move on. And they go on to uh, other countries and other gyms um, and, uh, and make really big names for themselves there. And, uh, you know, like uh, you just want to hang on to them, you know, and, and keep building them. And so that's kind of become a little more focus over the last few years is like how – how, how do we build up the local national athletes um, mm-hmm. so that we can, we can consistently um, send those same athletes back? Because right now um, we get a couple of athletes that end up being repeat uh, regional athletes, but typically it's one and done for them. Uh, they come in, they get up to a level where they can compete at regionals, and then they move on. And then another group comes in and we're trying to get them, and right before it's time for them to move on to their next place, uh, they make it to regionals and then – you know, it's just this this endless cycle of uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, building athletes up. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword of, yeah, we have uh, a really great program and we didn't tend to uh, be really consistent in terms of our performance in the Open. Um, but, hey, we would love to be able to uh, put a team together and, and uh, build them over a couple of years where they could go down and, and really uh, kick butt in the uh, Pacific Regional and maybe head on over to the, the States for – for the game someday. Yeah. Uh, we're going to peel back a little bit and talk about the, the separation between the competitive program and the regular class. So um, one of the questions that was on my mind was how do you decide if someone's ready for it? Cause you talked about having the skills and the, the attitude for it and a desire to compete. Who's in charge of deciding whether they're ready and what's the process like? Yeah, so that pretty much becomes me at that point. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to be in the, the gym 24 hours a day. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of get to see everybody and, and like, uh, how they move. Um, I get to see, like, their performance over a, a broad base of, um, of workouts mm-hmm. and, uh, and really see, like, what their potential is to, to become that higher-level athlete or move on to that next level. Um, so yeah, it kind of comes down to me. It does come down to some of their desire too. Like I've had, uh, quite a few athletes who are like, I really want to go to the back and, uh, which is, that's what we call it when you, you move into competitive training because most of them train in the back corner uh, of the gym, um, so that uh, there's plenty of room for the, the regular classes to train. 
um, but uh, that uh, they come and they have that desire. And, you know, so I'll, like, I'll let them know what they need to work on to, to get there and, and what I need to see in order to move them back there. Um, mm. Like, just being strong isn't enough to become a regional athlete anymore. Just yeah. being really good at gymnastics isn't enough to become a regional athlete anymore. Now, yeah. do you show potential in both? Cool, then I can work with that now. But if, uh, if you only love a barbell and the last thing you want to do is a pull-up, then it's really, really hard to get you into that, that competitive aspect of what we can do. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So for the listeners who are kind of wondering how I know Jamie, Jamie wrote basically the whole of my programming for a year. Uh, and I was on board with uh, whatever the guys were doing in the back, but just in a remote location. And I remember a conversation that we had from the very beginning, which was that you don't believe in personal training across um, the internet. So like remote coaching. That is correct. Have you changed um, your mind about that, or is that sort of still your mantra? Yeah, I still kind of feel that way, that I don't really believe in it, because um, like I, I don't necessarily think it's the program that makes the athlete. Um, mm. I think there's so many good programs out there, and there's so many people that know what they're doing in terms of their programming, that like you could have pretty much any program, um, and, and it, could, it could give the same results. Um, mm. Like, I think that um, you need eyes on you to fix the things that, that are wrong with your movement. What's holding you back? Like, um, why can't I do a butterfly pull-up? Mm -hmm. I, I can do 30 chest or I can do 30 kipping pull-ups in a row, but I can't seem to figure out how to put two butterfly pull-ups in a row. And like somebody needs eyes on um, to be able to give somebody feedback on how to improve their movement and how to become better at the at these movements instead of just doing the programming. Um, right. I think the other side of that is like really understanding the intent of that. And it's a lot easier for um, somebody to just walk over to me and go, hey, so what should I be trying to get out of this workout right now? Um, than for somebody to message me and then have to wait and then execute their program at a time that, that was not convenient for them because yeah. – wanted to kind of know hey what was your intent for for this segment of the programming and mm -hmm. uh you know like uh, i'll be i'll admit it like a lot of that's my own fault because um i'm so used to writing programming for for my local athlete here that the intent may not always be completely included in and uh what's written out within the program uh right. because i'm used to talking to them about it mm -hmm. um for sure and so uh, yeah i'm kind of a, a homegrown kind of person and uh like I have no issues with, with doing remote programming with someone. I think that it's really, really difficult um, unless they have someone uh, who has eyes on and understands um, the level that we're, we're programming for. And then I think that, that that coach that has the eyes on also needs to understand the intent of the entire program. Like why, why are we doing what we're doing right now? What, are we in strength training? Are we in Olympic weightlifting training? Um, are we training our metabolic conditioning at this point? Like mm -hmm. what phase training are we really in to really get the impact of the training? Right. Of course. Do you think there's a, there's a point at which, for example, the, the example you gave um, earlier on with the kipping pull-ups to butterfly pull-ups, do you think there's a point at which someone becomes skilled enough and experienced enough on the competition floor that they can take a programming from a, from a coach and execute that um, remotely without having to have eyes on them to be better. So in terms of 
not just being technically more proficient, but just having someone to figure out their programming so that they don't have to do it themselves. Would that be beneficial to an athlete? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, again, it goes back to, um, like, so if an athlete is at that level mm-hmm. where they pretty much mastered all the skill set, Mm-hmm. They might need a a coach eyes on anyway to start like helping them to to be more efficient in terms of what they do. Yeah. Uh, like if they've mastered the skill set and they need to move on to the next level, they need to to understand how to rest. They need to yeah. understand how to transition. Right. So I think it still becomes beneficial to have somebody with eyes on. And I think it all goes back to like the first statement that I made there. With I think that there's so many good programs out there now in terms of people that really understand programming and understand how to put it together that like it's six to one half a dozen of the other in terms of what programming you follow. Mm. Um, It just becomes, what do you need as an athlete? Yeah. It reminds me of um, that thing that we talked about uh, some time ago. It was about just the execution of the programs far more important than the actual program itself. You could write 50 burpees for time and people could do them differently and get very different results and different stimulus out of the same, like, workout. Absolutely, absolutely. Intent is everything in terms of of programming. If people don't know why they're doing what they're doing, then it kind of loses the purpose. Yeah. Uh, We're going to – so I'm curious at this point because you've obviously sent not just teams but also individuals to the regionals and to the games. Um, What – what, what are you looking for in a team athlete versus an individual athlete? Ooh, wow. That's, again, loaded questions today. All right. <laughs> We're going to get yeah. our money's worth with you, Jamie. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I mean, I think it's a little different because we are very unique in terms of, like, how transient our athletes are. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I said before, I, we've got some, uh, some up-and-coming athletes that uh, – that we're going to have for a little bit longer period of time um, that can really be focused on whether they want to become an individual athlete or something like that. Um, but pretty much all of our athletes in the competitive program, um, their primary programming is the same. Mm. Uh, like how they warm up or how they do accessory work in terms of that may be slightly different in terms of their needs. But um, like, I, I guess like, in terms of programming, it's not much different for for the individual and the team athlete uh, because a lot of times they be they end up becoming like they kind of mesh together uh, after the open. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, we don't have a a team that's set aside. Um, that hey, these are the four or six people that are training to be on the team for regionals, mm-hmm. and they're going to train together all year long uh, with the specific task of going to regionals as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of that becomes the, the makeup of our competitive program is that um, I don't know if uh, athlete A or athlete B or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. is going to get orders to um, ship out to somewhere and they will now not be <laughs> available. Yeah. yeah. Part of that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, or if someone's going to get pregnant. Or, you know, things like, like all those things play a life. role. In, yeah, the, all those life, life factors play a role in, in the team side of it. Um, yeah. So basically what we do is uh, we do a little bit of team training 
but primarily we focus on on the individual athletes over this uh, this uh, broad program that we put together, and uh, and then we just kind of watch along the way and watch people grow. And and when you have a like the the basis of the competitive athletes, um, like a good portion of them have less than three to four years of CrossFit. Um, mm. So like you're still seeing some exponential growth from year to year within them. And you may have an athlete that you had no expectation of, of being at the regional level, um, mm. qualifying for regionals. Um, it happened last year um, that uh, one of our, our athletes, uh, Elizabeth Adams, mm. she um, came into the competitive program after giving birth um and kind of uh stayed in the shadows all the way till the open and then like the open was her coming out party and uh, and like she just destroyed the open in in uh, 2017 and uh, qualified individually for regionals and um like we we didn't even like we didn't see it coming um yeah. like she, Grew that much in such a short period of time uh, that we really didn't see see that coming of her qualifying for regionals um, individually. Like she was a main component of of trying to qualify a team for regionals, um, but uh, yeah, we just didn't see that happening. And and then uh, she came back and qualified again this year, so it wasn't really a fluke. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So then, what is the selection process for your teams, considering all the life factors we talked about? Yeah, so um, I try to narrow it down as much as possible um, as we uh, start coming out of the open. Um, so again, they're all in the same programming, so it's not really like I'm tweaking the programming that much for the for those athletes that are out there. Um, and we're looking at uh, at kind of what what's happening in the open. Um, of course, I'm paying attention to uh, weaknesses and deficiencies within those athletes, like what would be showstoppers going into a regional type of workout mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, it's drastically different to open and regionals um, mm -hmm. in terms of what the programming looks like. So, um, like, I'm kind of keeping my own checklist uh, of those deficiencies. And uh, um, even this year, like, we were pretty unsure coming out of the open of what the makeup was going to be uh, with them changing from six athletes down to four athletes. Mm -hmm. And uh, in – like some of the decisions we had to wait to see what the individual or sorry, what the uh, team workouts were going to be before we made a final decision because like they, all of our athletes competed very similar in the open mm -hmm. and like their placement was pretty similar and their scores were pretty similar, but like some of them had some, some glaring weaknesses in the gymnastic side and other ones have some glaring weaknesses in the strike side. And so we weren't really sure how it was going to pan out until uh, until we saw the workouts, and and then we had to kind of narrow it down from there. And uh, it's something that that we always talk about at the beginning of the year is that hey, everybody's got to play their role. Yeah. And, uh, we're part of the team, and uh, that the best player doesn't always get to uh, get to play in the game, and that yeah. uh, you're going to have to just trust the coach's decision that I'm going to do what's best for the team in the long run. How do you, so this is a bit of a loaded question again. I apologize. It must be stressful to be in your position, especially being sort of the only person making the call, right, on who gets to play and who doesn't get to play. How do you navigate those, uh, the, those stressful moments of, you know, having to deliver the news to someone? Because I know this is a struggle not just for yourself, but, you know, a good number of teams around Asia. 
Yeah, I, I think the main thing is that, like, you just have to be upfront with them in the beginning. Is that, like, hey, because we don't train a team all by itself, everybody's name is in the hat for this lottery. And that, uh, like, if you're serious about going, then, then do the work. And if it all pans out, you may end up on that team or you may not. And, uh, you know, like, we had six or seven athletes going into or coming out of the open that were viable players to go to regionals. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it got chopped down to to four athletes going to regionals, and we're like, wow, this makes some bigger decisions, and it it definitely made us uh, have to go back and rethink it. You know, like how do I navigate it? Like I don't. It hurts me every time I have to tell somebody that that yeah. they didn't make make it into the game. Um, you know, like it's really really hard for me to to tell them because I'm very invested with my uh, with my athletes in terms of like of I want what's best for all of them. Yeah. You know, and uh, like I, I want them all to have the best experience from it. And so, like, I want all of them to be able to play. And, uh, you know, having to, having to tell them that they're going to have to sit the bench and sit this one out, especially when it's a once a year kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really hard because, like, that might have been the, the only year that I had a chance to send that athlete down there. Yeah. And, you know, like, having to make that call is really, really tough. And I guess. Like on, on hindsight, there are also instances where you've said no to people and that lit a fire under their ass and that caused them to train even harder for the year to come, wherever they end up being that year, you know, whether it's still with CFA or somewhere else in the world, it definitely still did what you wanted it to do, which was to bring them towards their peak potential in, in CrossFit or in fitness, right? Absolutely. Like my lo- my long-term for... For every person that walks through this door, whether they're a competitor or an individual, whether they stay at our gym or go to another gym, is that they continue in fitness and they get the most out of it. And, uh, you know, like if, if that little, um, that little setback, setback, yeah, setback in their life, uh, hey, it's just not going to happen this year, set a fire underneath them so that they train so hard and they, they get so passionate about what they're doing that nothing's going to stop them from like, I, I kind of, I guess I kind of look at team like, uh, do you watch the UFC at all? <laughs> a little bit. All right. It's kind of like a, a UFC fight that goes to the, the cards and the judges have to kind of decide yeah. whether yeah. you get to go. Like, you know what? Like train so hard that you qualify individual and you write your own ticket. Yeah. Um, at the, at the end of the day, that's the best way to best way to ensure that you're going down there, um, mm-hmm. or you're, you're going on to the next level. Um, like I would love to have um, six athletes that were going to be with me for the next six years that I could go. All right, you six are going to be the six people that we're looking at to send as a, a team to regionals, and you guys uh, like live and breathe together. You know, like, yeah everything you do you eat together you breathe together you sleep whatever you know that like all that time is spent getting to know each other so well that uh that they just become that that team that in every definition right you know yeah like yeah but um the dynamics of it just tend not to work out here i mean i think you give yourself a little too uh i mean you give yourself too little credit because Every time I see the the team together, whether it's at regionals or some kind of lo- local throwdown in Asia Championships, it's um, 
it's really obvious that on top of being people who work out together, they're also friends. They're they're very warm with each other. Like I personally experienced um, a lot of friendships with the people who are on the team this year for CFA. So I don't think you're doing that bad a job in, in gelling the team together. Uh, that's because I make them suffer so bad they all hate me together. <laughs> well, whatever <laughs> works, right? Uh, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, but I, I mean, they are definitely friends inside and outside of the gym. I think it should, I'm just talking about like the, the training element of it. Like mm. if you had six athletes that were only dedicated toward a team, then yeah. team-specific training with them, you know, three to five days a week. And like their entire focus could be on being the best team they could possibly be instead of being the best athlete that they could possibly be. And I think there's a huge uh, difference in the dynamic of that. What's the difference? Um, I think that that when you're when you're working as a team together, like your 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 intent is and your will is always for the best result of the team. Mm. Like whether that means you get to show how how amazing you are at this movement or not, um, that your intent is to make sure that 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 team shows the the best side of them, yeah. right? Where an individual is trying to show the best side of themselves, mm. right? And so those things don't always mesh together when you take. Um, and I, I think I even heard it uh, them talking about it in some of the announcements for for the CrossFit Games that like taking four individuals, you know, from the games and putting them on a team doesn't always make the best team. Mm-hmm. You know, those athletes that that learn to know each other and work together and know each other's weaknesses and cover each other's weaknesses and do what's best for the team tend to make the best team. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually really true. And a a good reminder for a lot of the, you know, people who are trying to build teams around Asia. I think there's just so much um, emphasis put on because it's such, it seems to be such an individual sport because you train individually. You can't make up for someone else's reps unless you're in a team situation. And very few of us train for those situations with the same people over and over again. Yeah, I think that's really what sets aside those teams that you see typically at the games doing well. And and those teams that don't is that when you look at the games and you look at that, like a great example is is Mayhem. Like they train together every day and they do a lot of team stuff together on a Mm -hmm. regular basis and they learn about each other's weaknesses and they, they understand that what they do is for the good of the team, not for the good of their individual placement. Cool. Well, we're going to wrap up with one final question on your thoughts on this year's team. Cause yeah. as, at the release of this episode, the team's going to take the floor in a couple of days. How do you feel about the team going in? Anything we should kind of watch out for? What events do you think they'll do well in or poorly? Yeah, I'm really excited for them this year. Um, like, there's nothing that came up in terms of the programming that's going to be a, a showstopper for them. Um, mm-hmm. I think everyone has pretty much done the, uh, the handstand walk obstacle, which could have been the showstopper. Um, mm-hmm. Like, whether, whether they've got it on that day or not, we'll find out. Um, but I know that uh, in terms of uh, all the workouts, they tend to be pretty solid at. Um, Basically, what I've told them is there's no showstoppers, and really what's going to determine how well they do is how many mistakes they make. Mm-hmm. Um, like in, in that, that team atmosphere, it always comes down to 
how many mistakes did you guys make within a single workout? And, uh, you know, because those mistakes end up being no reps, those no reps end up being uh, extra time on the floor, extra reps on the floor. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, in terms of uh, this year, all I've really told them because they're pretty solid in, in what they're doing is uh, try to – Try, like work together and stay composed and try to make the least mistakes. Um, where should they, I mean, if everything goes perfectly, their best workout will be the last workout. Okay. The rope climb and the thrusters. Um, the handstand pushups. Oh, right. The fifties. Yeah. Yeah. So did I get that out of order? Yeah. Did I get that out of order? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I yeah, should I, probably know I'm this. Sure the final workout is the, uh, the handstand push-ups and the lunges. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that should be there. I mean, they they all have amazing handstand push-ups, um, mm -hmm. and their their capacity in that is really good. So, and they practiced a lot with our makeshift worm. So, uh, hopefully, uh, that will be a a, a great workout for them. Um, mm -hmm. But I think though, you know, with the exception of making some mistakes along the way. I think they'll perform well in all of the workouts that are out there. There's nothing that they can't do. Mm, that's cool. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else that um, we should be any any messages you want to give out to people who are trying to build a legacy in this uh, this space? I guess we've talked a lot about you know coming from 2008 and establishing CrossFit in a scene where no one knew what it was to bringing teams to the regionals over and over again to what it takes to really, you know, the psych building down to building, sorry, into the psychology of building teams. What yeah. kind of advice would you give to somebody who's about to come into the space, exploring p potentials of either opening a gym or starting a competitive team in CrossFit? Yeah, I think it all goes back for me to um, that first point that you brought up and, uh, in terms of our, our foundation slash fundamentals course is that um, if you teach people how to move properly, um, you teach them how to have good mechanics, um, you reinforce those mechanics over and over and over again, you're going to have uh, athletes that not only have longevity, but they're going to show the potential to, to move into that competitive arena. Um, I, I don't think there's, there's any, anything that, that delineates like, who should be a competitive athlete and who shouldn't like in the long run. Um, like you don't have to have a competitive background to be a competitor. Mm. You just have to have a desire and a drive to become that kind of a person. Um, and that, uh, that in terms of like building a competitive program, like um, I think a lot of people hop out there and they want to get their brand out there and yeah. become known for their own program. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you, I spent about two and a half years following dot-com programming, really trying to understand and learn um, the intent that Coach Glassman had in terms of his programming before ever trying to write a workout and step out on my own um, mm -hmm. in terms of, of how I program. And I still learn every single day. And yeah. I still watch all the great programmers out there. Like, I, I go to... Uh, Ben Bergeron's site and check his stuff out. I go and check out Invictus stuff. Mm -hmm. I look at I look at uh, brute strength. Like I am always trying to learn more about um, how to program to make to build great athletes. 
Um, and I think that's the biggest thing for those people that are, are trying to build a program is like never think you know so much that you don't need to keep learning. Hmm. And for athletes who are looking to become competitors and like looking for, say, the best programming, we talked a little bit about how, you know, execution is way more important than what you follow. Um, yes. What would what would your advice be to that person? Yeah, I think the first thing I would tell people is just take your time. Um, like everybody wants to come into CrossFit and become a competitor nowadays because it's <laughs> yeah. a, a thing to do. And like learn CrossFit, enjoy CrossFit, fall in love with CrossFit, then make the decision whether you want to be a competitor or not because like it's – it's kind of like owning a gym. Everybody makes it seem like, uh, you know, hey, own a gym. You get to work out all the time. It'll be the greatest thing ever. And, you know, the reality of owning a gym isn't really that. Um, the same with the, with being a competitor. Hey, be a competitor. You get to compete. You get to be in the limelight. Hey, you spend a lot of time grinding it out the better as a competitor. And uh, it's not always fun. Um, no. Like there's a lot of misery in being a competitor. And there's a lot of, of times when athletes are just like, you know what? I just want to quit. Um, mm -hmm. They have that feeling uh, all the time of like, I just want to quit. And it's not because they don't love it. It's just because it's such a hard road to take and it's such hard work. Um, so like somebody real, you really have to fall in love with CrossFit, in my opinion, to move into the competitive side of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, take your time uh, in terms of like, like what program to follow. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't really say that. I can't I can't tell somebody, you know, that, hey, you should hop in and follow my program or Ben yeah. Bertrand is the best program for you or Misfit tends to have a lot of athletes that go to regionals, so you should follow them. Um, I think it's it's very individual uh, in terms of what program works for somebody, but I think it all, for me at least, in my opinion, it all comes back to that um, understanding the intent and yeah. having someone who's willing to spend the time to fix what's wrong with you. Yeah. It, it's not even wrong to just seek out a local gym and like have someone with eyes on you like when you're training. Regardless of, you know, regardless of whether you're doing, you know, pieces A, B, C, and D, E every day or you're just doing benching and then a metcon, you know, like if you have eyes on you sometimes the simpler the program, the better. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you have to do what, what fits your lifestyle. Um, you know, like, yeah, it would be great to, uh, to have access to all the things that they have in the United States and be able to, you know, drive down the road and get with uh, five other games athletes and train together. But, you know, that's just not the reality of Asia that we're, we're all yeah. very segregated and uh, that, um, like, you have to figure out what works for you and, and what kind of program works for you. And if you need you know, if you need a partner to work out with and you need to find somebody to drag along um, that's willing to pay whatever the cost is for that same program that you're going to do. Um, yeah. yeah. And cool. then uh, I think my last note on that is, like, you got to be willing to put it out there. You can't sit yeah. there and be the big dog in your gym. You need to get out there and you need to compete and you need to get your teeth kicked in every once in a while um, with some of these these uh, bigger fish that are swimming out in the ocean yeah. and uh, and learn about yourself. And because I think there's way more to be learned out of, out of losing than there is out of winning. So true. Yeah. And I guess you, you do find out whether you want to do it or not, if depending on how you respond to failure. Oh, for sure. It's, it's easy to want to do it when you're winning all the time. Yeah. You're, to do it when you're not winning. Yeah. 
Cool. Thank you so much. I think that's uh, we've got so much value out of that little conversation that we've had for an hour. Um, thanks so much, and good luck to CrossFit Asia down under. Are Thank you going to be with them? Uh, I'm not. Actually, uh, three of the four athletes and one of the uh, our alternate athlete um, are all coaches here. Yeah. And so I'm going to be covering all of their classes. <laughs> there uh, throwing down on the competition floor all right cool i'm sure we'll be watching the same time as you will be well thank you very much i hope right. they do great thank you thank you and that's a wrap thank you so much for listening to the end don't forget we have a brand new episode every day this week until the athletes with the regional school so come back tomorrow and join us as we chat to Carlos Elbaladejo, who is currently ranked number one going into the weekend for the Pacific Regionals. Road to being the fittest man in Asia drops tomorrow at noon. See you guys then.